So welcome to your first podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you, Blake. <laughs> so John, uh, just for anyone listening, um, so that they can get an idea what you do, just explain what you do, and then we're just going to basically jump straight into a conversation like we would if we were having coffee at a, a local cafe. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds so, good. So what is it you do? Yeah, so uh, just a little bit about myself that leads into that. Uh so I have been an educator for about 30 years. I just retired. Mm-hmm. Bring this right up to you. So close that it feels almost uncomfortable. <laughs> okay. Well, this, this already feels uncomfortable. I mean, I, I feel oh, like this I'm, must be new to you. Huh? I feel like I'm talking inside my head, but yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll get used to it as we go along, I guess. But anyway, yeah. So, so I've been in Southwest Florida basically all my life. Uh, I'm a native. Ah, one and of the few, huh? One of the few. And so I've been in education, retired about two years ago. And so now what I'm doing is, well, first of all, uh, my dear wife, our five daughters and two children, two sons, and 24 grandkids. Wow. And most of them live in Southwest Florida. So that's top priority mm-hmm. is they do want Papa's attention. Uh, then, of course, I've been in the area in education, so I have, I have uh, students and parents and, you know, events that I go to to keep in touch with what's going on at the school, and, and it's just such a wonderful experience is to have those relationships. Mm. So, you know, we've been involved in Southwest Florida for some time, and so we have a lot of relationships in Southwest Florida, Cape Coral, Fort Myers, Naples in particular. So uh, I love counseling. I love conflict resolution. Uh, I've spent a lot of time with parents and teachers and students teaching them about conflict resolution. I mean, there's some basic things that everyone should know in relationships that could really help them to be a little more objective in the way they deal with their conflicts. So anyway, so that's a big part of what I do. Mm -hmm. So I have an office at VentureX. Um, I offer counseling services for free. Yeah, wow. So one of the things that I do is, along with that, is I uh, meet different people. So I could be counseling somebody who... Uh, in the community that has everything they need. Uh, they're wealthy. Uh, they're just doing fine from that perspective. But I also counsel with people who might need a home or might need mm-hmm. something for an electric bill or or maybe there's an addiction or whatever it might be. So I know I know where those people can go. So anytime there's something that I'm counseling about and I can tell this is too heavy a lift for me and I wouldn't be serving them well if we continue, mm-hmm. then I'll connect them to somebody that, that could help them. Yeah. yeah. That's real cool. So I realize my phone is not on silent and I really do not want to be interrupted. <laughs> so you offer um, – what got you into into that – like to to make the jump from being a, a teacher, a, a, you said it was, is it like a leadership role at the yeah, school? Yeah, leadership. Yeah, leadership? I, I, yeah. I helped establish two high schools, one 
here in Naples and one in South Carolina. So it's been primarily as an educational administrator, principal, mm-hmm. or headmaster. Yep. Um, so, yeah, but I love to teach. Yeah. How um, long did you do that for? Uh, 30 years. Yeah. So you knew a thing or two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I really enjoy students. Mm. And they found me to be non-threatening, non-judgmental. Uh, I didn't... I'll back that up because when we were chatting in the elevator, I was like, this guy's really just so genuine. <laughs> like, that was why... I well, mean, thank you. Yeah, for, for people listening or watching, it's... I mean, John, I just was like, mid-conversation, our first chat, I was like, can you just be on my podcast? Because I have uh, so many questions. I'd love to just share it instead of just yes, me selfishly yeah. take them. Well, that's great. And you had no idea. What, like, he messaged, you messaged me. <laughs> yeah. What is this exactly? Which I love. Like, yeah. thank you for trusting me too. Like, a complete stranger. Well, anyone who's holding a precious little baby like you were holding, <laughs> I'm going, this guy's good. I mean, like that's I said. trick. I, yeah. Well, yeah. It works. Uh like I said, I've got 24 grandkids, mm. uh, varying uh, quite an age span. So I have years of experience of being a granddad that grandchildren come to when they get older and get in trouble. Mm. And they don't go to mom and dad. <laughs> they come to papa. So they do respect me. They do know that I'm not going to be judgmental. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things I tell anyone and everyone, never shame yourself. Mm. That never works. That's very true. So do not shame yourself. So if I've had a son or daughter or a grandchild who comes to me and they're going, oh, I can't believe I did such and such. And I did it again. Mm. But I don't like it. But I'm, I'm struggling with it. First thing, don't shame yourself. I love you. Uh, if we can be a part of the solution... You are not the problem. The problem is the problem. So let's get focused on the problem. So I did that as an administrator, as a principal, as a teacher. I would I would help the students to take ownership of whatever it is they did. Uh, I did not take the approach, well, let's see what the rule book says. Oh, if you do such and such, this is what I have to do. Mm. No, I put that aside. Now, if I have to use the rule book, fine. But, no, I I want there to be a a person-to-person connection. Students are persons first. Yep. Should always be respected, and vice versa to teachers in their office. So anyway, yeah, so it's just a a natural fit for me who now in my retirement years, which is a great season, I love it, (laughs) I answer to no board. Yeah. I have no boss. I don't, I, I, I'm done with that. Um, so, yeah, so we, we get to have the freedom of my relationship with my wife and my children and my grandchildren. And then in addition, be a part of the community and give back to the community by offering counseling services. And uh, when I say counseling services, so... Don't make it something that's, uh, okay, this guy will fix my problem, Mm -hmm. or he's going to tell me what to do, or any of that. Um, But really, a good listener is what most people need. 
Yeah. And most problems will be solved when I just need to talk to somebody objective, tell them what's going on. Uh, they might say a thing or two insightful, mm-hmm. which every once in a while I do that. Uh, and that's sometimes that's all people need. Yeah. And uh, or they might need to come back and you know talk about this other. But no, I don't tell people what to do, and I don't judge people, mm. and I, I just want to help them maybe define the problem, focus on the problem, and maybe think of some solutions. But they need to take ownership. I'm not going to do it for them. Definitely, that's such an important thing. Of I've like with my conflict resolution, I've noticed. Uh, I always draw the comparison to fighting techniques. Most people try and conflict, like resolve conflict, like a boxer or a Muay Thai, where it's just bah, 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 like yeah. hit for hit. Yeah. Versus, it should be jujitsu, where it's like jujitsu. You wait for them to come, and then you manipulate their their weight to get them where they need to be. And I've found that. Like I'm better with it with employees than I like personal life. It, like you have to really, really focus on being jujitsu. But like you mentioned, like that talking, not doing it basically. Like so, listening and then trying to find that piece of information to then direct them where they need to go. But you can't tell them where to go. You have to lead them. That's that's such a such a true thing. Because we love to tell. <laughs> so true. So true. Yeah. It's So having ground rules, like a married couple, uh, and if they have a really poor example from their parents who would go out of bounds and they would say things. So, I mean, there's some things that a person should say, you know, as we resolve conflict, there's some things we will never do. Mm. We don't call names. Uh, we don't hit. Uh, we don't play mind games. We we just we need to be respectful and show dignity at all times. Mm-hmm. And that's just those are really ground rules for it. And so I do find there are people who are married, and maybe they're codependent. Or, but they, 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 I don't know if they feel trapped or, but they're allowing this other person to call them names, Mm. to mistreat them. I mean, that just should not be. Uh, So how to, how to deal with that? Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, there's a, do you know Jordan Peterson? Have you ever heard of him? Okay. He's controversial, not intentionally, it's just it happened, but his book, The 12 Rules of Life, he has one chapter, which is fantastic. It's never let your children do what will make you resent them. And that's that's in every relationship. And being called names is one of them. Like you'll end up resenting them by allowing them to do that. Um, yeah, that book, it... it Oh, that chapter in particular is like, I hold it so much. I'm like, okay, is this thing really frustrating me? I need to micro adjust that in the relationship because I don't want to resent you later. I don't want to do all this stuff. 
And it's that, I guess that foreshadowing or uh, present hindsight, they call it like, all right, if this continues this route, this will be a problem. And um, that's, that's a really interesting take to relationships and because the name calling is a big one. That's a big one. Thankfully, my wife and I don't do that. And we have a very, like, I think even if I joke around, like I go to even like a little, haha, like a face slap, joke, like that's her line. I'm like, okay, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Keep in mind that in communication, most of our communication is nonverbal. Yes. And so that also means when we say no name calling, especially nonverbally. Mm. What do you mean by that? No name calling, no verbally. So again, our body language is very effective. It's probably the number one way that we understand what someone's saying. We're always reading it. True. It's saying something to us. If I were to say I'm happy, but I look sad, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna say to yourself, he's not happy. He's sad. Uh huh. So body language is most of communication. And so how we, with our body, talk is really important. Yeah. How do you coach someone? Like, if would, Do you do stuff like um, couples in the same room and stuff like that, or is it usually one-on-one? Do you do couples in the same room? Yes. But do you evaluate their like, body language and that stuff and then help guide them through that as well? Yes, I can do that typically. It'll be individually, and then as a couple, mm. typically. Again, there's no arbitrariness about it. Uh, they may say, we need to come in, period. <laughs> Fine. Uh, so, yeah, so I do both. Yeah. What's the uh, – do you ever look into – um, I spoke with Bill in the last podcast about this, um, especially stuff with addiction. There's um, – a book, and I, I couldn't remember it in the last podcast, and I can't remember right now. It's really frustrating. I'll write it in the description. It's a book about addiction, and it says that the most addictive thing is habitual um, acts. So, um, that, so even with illicit drugs, for example, people are usually addicted to the habit, even caffeine, I guess. You know, first thing in the morning, have a, ca- have a coffee. Take that away, watch the person lose their mind because they are addicted to the action of having it, not so much the caffeine hit. Um, With the uh, counseling of people that are addicted to drugs or anything of of that nature, have you ever looked into their, like how can you change their environment, their habits and stuff like that? And what are some of the things you do in those examples? Uh, If somebody came to me and had an addiction, uh, it it wouldn't take me long to connect them with somebody who deals with addictions all the time. Gotcha. So one of the things that I've done real well over the years is build teams. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know where my strengths are, and I know where I want to get people who have strengths that I don't have. They might be... Fine, but I mean, I, I want to give them the best service. Mm. So if I see that it's they really need more than I can give, or maybe I get it started and then pass them on, yeah. So I think really to your question, I think it's going to be. It sounds like what you're 
proposing here, I think it would be I would be moving that person to a person who deals with addictions all the time. Awesome. Okay, so you so you're like the you're like the headmaster of the counseling in a way, <laughs> and, and give them to the, the relative department. Again, I I just uh, you know so I'll share a story with you. So my previous wife died of Alzheimer's. I took care of her for seven years, mm. and we, we we were soulmates. We loved each other very much. It was a very difficult journey. Uh, one of the biggest compliments that the Alzheimer's Support Network of Naples said to me was, John, we've never seen anyone build a team like you have. So, yeah, I, I love building teams. Uh, I have my own team. I got some incredible people, by the way, who are on my team because I have an incredible family. Mm. So there are people who are very um, accessible to me that when I need to, for example, I'm dealing with Alzheimer's. Never done this before. It's, boy, this is hard. Psychologically, it is so, it's such a lift. Mm. And so I was wise enough to stay in touch with others, I call them my team, uh, so that I could try to be as objective as I could be Mm. and have ideas. And of course my team, uh, they never told me what to do. Uh, But of course uh, I might say something like, I don't know what to do. What would you do or what, you know, but again, they're still very careful to not take ownership of it yep. or try to fix it. But yeah, but here's here's some thoughts. So that's a important skill in life. So I, that's part of what I do is help people by saying, for example, let's say somebody is the president of an organization or their leadership of something. So you're going to have people upline that you have to answer to. So there's some protection in that, and you want to pay attention to them. Don't be stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But take care of yourself, and don't let that be the only means of the direction and advice that's coming into your life. Make sure you have some people that you trust who are competent, that don't have a dog in the game and you can talk with them so they're giving you what I would call informal advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might say there's informal authority because it, if it's true, there's authority with that. Yeah, And that doesn't have to just flow from up to the bottom. That can be, you know, you, you have people in your life and don't try to go life alone. It's it's a very pretty hard. rough way to go. Yeah. Now you want to. No, tough. you need a team. Yeah. I don't care who you are, whether leader or not. You really need a team. Yeah. Well, it's that analogy. Uh, it doesn't matter how good you are, even if there's if they're on a soccer field and there's eleven players versus one, you can have eleven average players. They'll still beat the one. <laughs> um, so with. With what you do, um, I'd be interested to know what is like, and this is probably too broad of a question, but we'll see how it goes. What is the biggest 
a hindrance that you see with relationships in this area? I mean, it's probably indicative of the rest of the country as well, but what's the biggest one you've experienced uh, that keeps turning its its uh, ugly head up in relationships here? Hmm. It sounds like you're asking a regional question. Well, it, relative to what you've experienced. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, I know. I think, I think my experience would be, uh, and what I want to talk about would be a universal kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Again, in relationships and dealing with conflict, uh, I think one of the number one problems is either avoiding or denying there's a conflict. Mm. Now, the problem that, that happens with that is that if a couple or a team or whatever, friendship, whatever, if they are avoiding or denying or both, and they keep doing that, then every conflict becomes like this cement block. And then the, each block builds up on each other. And before you know it, you've got a wall. And before you know it, you're growing apart. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you might wake up and say, wow, we are so far apart. What happened? Mm. Well, you know, that's going to be a very big task. And at that point, you probably, <laughs> like, it's it's like those those uh, cliche, like you tell off the spouse because they burnt the toast. It's like, you're not angry at the toast. You're angry at all these other things that you have no idea right. are building up in the psychology. Yeah. Um, how does someone, my wife and I are really good at that, more my wife. I think I'm very good at pointing it out when she's doing something, but when it's me, I have to really, really like, really aware um how do you advise a couple to mitigate those micro discretions or whatever for lack of a better word how would you help them i draw that to attention in a in a micro content resolution to avoid the greater problem well typically like we do with our own conflicts uh so if we're triggered uh Pay attention to your emotions. Self-awareness is really important. Mm. So if a person or a couple are self-aware, it really isn't rocket science. Uh, So if you're aware of where your emotions are and then you pay attention to those emotions, that will typically lead you back to uh, the thinking process or the conversation or the whatever and now you can go back to that. So another part of uh, conflict resolution training is helping a person understand their um, typical uh, default to resolving conflict. Mm-hmm. Are they passive? Are they aggressive? Or maybe they have learned a few things and they're assertive. So that will help them to understand their style, uh, which is going to help them in dealing with problems. How do I, what do I normally do? And if I'm typically, any conflict needs to be managed. And it legitimately, sometimes you say, you know what? It's not big enough to even talk about. <laughs> we're, we're just moving on. Mm-hmm. So you have the other 
spectrum were people that I would call them nitpickers. I mean, they just think that everything is a problem and has to be talked about. Mm. Well, they're going to wear people out, including themselves. Does that stem from like an insecurity in oneself that it's instead of it being internal, they're externally trying to justify why they're an angry? That could be. Yeah? That could be. Yeah. Sorry, I'm psychoanalyzing everything. <laughs> it's what I do. Because <laughs> I, mean, I noticed that when I was younger, it was like someone very close to me, whenever they come back from the doctor and they were stressed or something like that, it was always, you need to change this, you need to change that. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. Yeah. You know, like, and it took me probably 10 years after me being aware. Ex again, I was aware externally of this person's issue, but I didn't realize I was internally doing the exact same thing but then at the age of 24 I, I mean I even tattooed it on my skin to remind myself you need to change and it's taken gosh how old am I now nine years to work it out and forever working that out but it is that usually there's a discontentment for me personally I mean I'm not gonna speak on other people but there's a discontentment and anger inside me that then gets pushed out. And it might be that the other things externally are causing the internal annoyance, but there's, I mean, I can't change it. So I'm trying to figure out how to change myself because that's the one thing I can change. And meditation I found was a very, very good thing. Do you recommend meditation to people often? I, I do, mm? yes. I don't know about often, but because again, I, I Every person's different, mm. and I let them lead the way because I want them to be in a position of ownership and not not trying to cast it on to me to be the fixer. Definitely. So yeah. So but meditation can be a very important way to manage our conflicts because having peace within is so important. Yeah. So important. And probably an internal quest too. <laughs> so sometimes the um, people who are aggressive and micromanage relationships and everything is important. Yeah, it could be that they're insecure, probably are. Uh, could be they're just trying to control. Could be that this is how they've seen their parents do it. Mm-hmm. Or people they look up to, so yeah, they they just need to to learn a wiser way forward. So on the other spectrum would be the person who passively, I mean, they don't want to talk about anything. Mm. Uh, it just it it frightens them to say to somebody else, you know, I I just feel very uncomfortable about what you're saying or. Or, you know, the other day when you did this, they just, they're so passive that they just, it scares them to talk about. Mm. And they want to please. So, again, it's its it really, it's uh, uh, class 101. So let's just talk about passive, aggressive, assertive and see where you are. It doesn't take long to understand, yeah, this is my basic approach. And knowing that and understanding there there are more than three or four ways 
that you can manage the conflict. So helping people understand, make a decision based on evaluating the conflict. What do I believe is the best way forward? Is it going to be, you know what, it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, this is this is pretty important. We really need to talk about it. So let's let's do that. So yeah, and of course, listening is a very another biggie. So what I'm saying uh, is not rocket science. And, it's so hard to do sometimes. <laughs> and I'm not a psychologist, <laughs> mm-hmm. so I, I don't present myself as such. Yeah. But when you have 24 grandchildren, <laughs> and you got a lot of practice. <laughs> five daughters and two sons and you have worked with thousands of students mm. it probably qualifies me for something uh, what's the age spread between the grandchildren if you don't mind me asking like oldest to youngest yeah so it goes from like a six month baby to uh, 25 wow yeah I did a wedding one for, a year basically yeah I yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> I would never thought about that. I'm sorry, my math, I'm, a, I'm a math brain. I can't help it. I'm always averaging stuff out. <laughs> so yeah, so there's a there's a good widespread there, and and uh, but I enjoy uh, what a blessing mm. to have relationships with all of them. A family and, that size is so rare in today's society too, especially close together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're most of us are in the area. Mm. And they do, and I do know them. Yeah. And they do know me, and they like me. And uh, so, yeah, I, I just I place a high value on relationship. Mm. Yeah, it's it's the one thing that I mean, I, it took me I think until I was late twenties to figure that out. Because again, the way in which I was all the little habits again my addictional habit was pain and it took me a while to be like uh, you know what let's not work on this it's not I, I don't i don't believe anything is how it is you know what i mean like it's how we choose it to be and it, if you're in an environment it, that's tough it's you know that you want to get out of it's also going to be like you got long-term goals just to change who you are but definitely one of my things was i was so focused on the drive but also focus on the addiction to the 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 high emotion in the relationships, friendships through to actual romantic relationships that I didn't realize how volatile I was living my life. Uh, I mean, I attribute it all to the internet. Like everyone likes to really put a bad name on the internet, but again, it's like anything you see, what you find what you're seeking out. And without the internet, I don't think I would have realized all the opportunities possibilities listening to audiobooks podcasts you know famous entrepreneurs who are just giving their information for free without that i don't think i would have gotten out of that rut but um yeah i used to really just there was like a tipping point for friendships where it would became like this super selfish and self-indulgent thing which is another tattoo on here which is like don't keep count because I've noticed that when you keep count, usually I'll do one thing nice. I count that ten times. They do one thing, <laughs> no, one thing nice ten times. I count that once. Um, because of just again the psychological biases and different values we put on yeah. internal, external things. Yeah. But once, like again, I say once, but it was like across almost a decade, and still working on it. 
there was a freedom in also not caring but still equally caring it's like that really bad cliche of they use the example for love like love is like a butterfly hold it too tight you crush it hold it too loose it flies away i i hate that metaphor but it is very very true with everything (laughs) um so we i'm intrigued i'm intrigued about this family though like 24 grandchildren so 25 is the oldest you highly highly like you'll be a great grandparent as well like eventually. i am yeah are oh, you already a great grandparent yeah so oh wow so when i say grandkids uh then i can say that of that 24 there are five uh great grandchildren wow yeah i started young that's nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that at all my uh my uh wife's grandmother and grandfather are still with us and so they're like how are we still alive being a great grandparent? I'm like, that'd be so, what's it like knowing that you can, like you're one of the very few that are alive to witness three generations after like preceding you. What's that like? I remember when I went to uh, my youngest daughter's wedding and I noticed that there were five generations present. And so I said, so let's, I told my son, uh, it was his little family. I said, let's let's get the five in a picture. Mm. So yeah, there were actually five, five generations. generations present at the wedding. Wow! And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really amazing experience yeah, to wow. to see that and to experience that range. Wow! That'd be so surreal. <laughs> It, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to like to imagine it in my shoes, but because even just being a parent, you look at the little one, you're like, it makes me understand my parents a lot more where I'm like, oh, I see how I made my mom crazy. Like not crazy into psychotic, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. I can understand why a lot of what I said was extremely hurtful because even just seeing six months of Sienna's birth, like life, the emotional like challenge Stacy's over like going through sleep deprivation. Like I'm fortunate I don't get as much sleep deprivation as Stacy, but then like, you know, at home, always with her, like it it really puts into perspective. I mean, as a child, you don't realize what your parents are doing. So um Adam I I mean, I'm looking forward to, I mean, not in a rush, but to see like how it would be like seeing your grandchildren grow as well as seeing your children raise the grandchild, like your grandchild. That'd be, what's, I mean, you said being a grandparent was better than being a parent. I think every grandparent says that. <laughs> um, what's, a, what's it like seeing your grandchildren raising their children? Is that, that must be super yeah well I, it, no it's wonderful it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's wonderful to uh, so you know as as through the years the reason why I'm enjoying such a season mm. is because I love people I love my kids I love my grandkids and I was present with them and I wanted to be with them mm. And so I would start right from there is to be, I love holding a little baby 
just give me a baby, put me in a rocking chair, and you could say goodbye. We'll see you later. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just something. I'd like you're holding your daughter in the elevator. Mm. I mean, it's almost breathtaking to me. Yeah. This little life, this person, and you're holding this person, and they're taking in a lot more. So, like the last time I did that my, with my youngest, um, which is a grandchild, uh, just so we were at a restaurant and we were watching my daughter's four children so that she and her husband, who have very busy lives professionally, can get a break. Mm. So, it's <laughs> funny because here we are. And four, so it's a good thing they let us use their big car, <laughs> the Suburban, that already has the four chairs, the four uh, safety seats in it. I mean, there's so much you have to do. Yeah. To move from home to, let's see, we're going to take them over to the park. And you've got a baby, and you've got a seven-year-old, and two in between. So it's it's quite an experience to yeah. to do that, <clears throat> but that's again all a part of valuing my daughter that she gets some space. We get to spend time with the grandkids, so they're getting to really enjoy us, and we get to know them. So that's you know it's the again it's that connectedness. Which brings me to that that thought. Uh, When I would talk with parents, I'd say, whatever whatever the problem is, uh, make sure you connect with your kids when they're young. Yeah. It's so important. You do that, and what's to come will be so much easier to deal with because you are connected heart to heart. Mm. I mean, it's just so important, which takes me to another thing I've said many times to parents who came to me and said, my child is doing poorly in school, misbehaves at home. What do I do? Well, don't define them by their problem. Mm. That's 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 yeah that that's. Again, that's making the, the person the problem, and you can really hurt your child big time mm. if you define them. So sometimes I have parents bring a report card and they say, "This D is really bothering me. I just you know I mean, and so the, and they let the child know this D is unacceptable. <clears throat> so I would say, so look, okay, let's look at the report card. Okay, so what about this A? Mm. What about this B? What about this C? Are you making a big fuss over those? Or is the only thing you're the D? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that says volumes to a child that you don't want to be saying to the child because <laughs> you're just really, you're hurting them. Especially if they're rebellious in nature like I was. Like, you tell me I'm doing something wrong. It's like, I kind of enjoy that, so I'll lean into it. Um, I remember in high school um, to do with like the focusing on the D, on um, a D grade, the um, it can also depend on the teacher. 
so much. Like I, I had like my brain is in high school. I did everything that was uh, quantitative, like three net maths, which is like the highest version. Then you got uh, engineering, physics, because I, I have a real problem being told I'm wrong on a subjective thing, Big, like English, you're like oh. Um, Anything where I was like, oh, give us your opinion. Here's my opinion. Here's why you're like, oh, you're wrong. I'm like, no, like, don't tell me I'm wrong on my opinion. Like, it's it's a it's a very vast thing. So I, I lent heavily towards the stuff where it was like, you're wrong because of here. And I'm like, fair enough. And I was in the top 10 percentile for three net maths, uh, top four percentile in engineering, but then physics, I was in the bottom. And... I knew it was because of the teacher, but I remember in uh, at the end of year eleven, uh, we had like a parent-teacher interview, and this teacher, you know, basically just said, "Look, physics isn't for Blake. He's just, you know, he doesn't really get it. He's this, this, and this." Mom's like, "But it's all just math, and he crushes math and engineering. Is there a way? Is there a way in which you think he could improve?" And like this teacher was a bit rude. He's like. Nah, I just don't see it. So my mom, being my mom, had like a, a mental fu to him. Goes gets a tutor. Six months later, I'm in the top ten percentile. <laughs> and so then we had another uh, parent-teacher thing, and it was just like this. Like I could just imagine her just sort of, if it was like a car- character caricature, like twiddling her hair, just being like, maybe. Blake wasn't the problem. <laughs> and she literally said that to him. I was like, savage. But yeah, he was terrible. Like the top two kids were always correcting his um, his answers going, so you missed that. And he's like, oh yeah. <laughs> but it was, but then I had another teacher in my three unit maths who's, this is how much of an impact he left on me called Mr. Wormy. I finally got in contact with him just before I left Australia. And I was like, I just want to thank you for the lessons you gave me outside of math. And so he was like this, he's a Canadian, uh, like a crazy Einstein looking guy, mustache, crazy white hair. He would jump on the tables. Um, he, I remember him getting the, the book and he goes, look at this, and just throws it against the wall. He goes, forget it. And we're like, huh? And then he, like the textbook for like differentiation, I can't exact, exactly remember it, you know, 17 years later, but it was instead of like V minus U over whatever it was, he'd go, no, no, no. You call the bottom bot and the top top. And you go top diff bot minus bot diff top. And like that rolls off my tongue still, but I, for some reason, 17 years later, I still don't exactly know what it means, but it, mm-hmm. because he made it, he edutained us. And like, I'm talking like weird things. Like he'd do the answer and he'd be like, mm-hmm, isn't that delicious? Like just weird, but we're here like this going yeah 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 and then but that became our norm but our norm was still just enough of a novelty for us to be interested in something that's pretty freaking boring like three at mass differentiation parabolas like come on man um so seeing that that difference in the way in which someone can engage and communicate to students who even though we're up there, like, you know, we're still boys, 17 year old boys. And you give us a sign of weakness, we're gonna break through. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
yeah, like, so I can't remember exactly where I was going with that, but just the way in which, the way in which you can communicate, you can communicate the exact same thing. Ah, the tutor. The tutor communicated to me in a way I understood. And I felt because she was respectful, I felt like I needed to give that back. The other teacher with the physics, not so much. Um, yeah, I can't remember exactly where I was going with that. But <laughs> well, no, it, it's so whether you're a parent, a teacher, whatever you might be, uh, if you love people, if you want to effectively communicate and be interesting uh, and make connections, uh, people respond. Mm. Uh, many times I would say to the parents, teachers, and students, one of the most important gifts that you can ever give somebody is to truly listen. Mm. And uh, I, I think it's really mind-blowing if you were to talk to people and say, in fact, I, so I do talk to groups. There are people that invite me to come in and we, we just talk about relationships and so forth. And I know I was talking to this one group and I mentioned this about listening. And I got such a response, and basically what they were all saying without saying a word, but just the response, they can hardly think of anyone who really listens to them. Mm. Wow. You talk about being alone. Yeah. Maybe in the midst of a lot of people. <clears throat> so learning to listen. Let's go back to conflict. So are you listening so you can... Think of how to make your argument against what they're saying? Or are you listening because you really do want to understand them and what they're saying? That's so important, listening. Yeah. And sometimes when you hear what they're saying, you don't like it. Like sometimes Stace will be saying something to me and my my initial reaction is, you know, mentally F you. But I'm like, and I have to like, you have to breathe. That's one thing I think helping me to to listen, I focus on my breathing. Meditation helped me with that, but it's when you hold your breath, that's when it's like, oh, I'm gonna tell you something. Uh, even if it's excitement, I used to really suffer from that. I get so excited and I talk and you know, my wife would be like, just shut up. <laughs> with everyone, because now it's like I do that, I focus and like I can feel myself get excited and I go, and I just, you know, let it go that little bit longer than you think it should. And half the time, the stuff they're saying, I'm like, wow, wow, that, I never would have found that out if I didn't listen. But again, with Stace, like she'll say some stuff and I'm like, you know, in the moment, she's very good at articulating it. And that, again, that biological response of no, then sometimes I'm like, oh, and you can feel it hit and you're like, ah, oh, she's right. <laughs> and you just feel yourself deflate and you're like, Okay, yeah, all right, yeah, that was bad. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> but my the old thing was to just lash. Not to her, thankfully, I, I said to her, I'm like, if you met me two years before I met you, this never would have happened. Yeah. Um, how do you go about, I mean, I'm, again, this is a very long question in terms of response, but how long would it, do you go, right, let me say it again, how long does it typically take someone in that lack of communication ability to get to that point with their wife or is it more like or husband 
or is it more that like they need to keep coming back as like a touch point for a neutral source? Yeah. So uh, while I do coaching because I love sports and I love I play high school and college basketball and I, I did some coaching. So I like the whole concept of coaching and that's basically the way I would even run a team at times. So when it comes to what you're asking, yeah, I think there's a lot of people who would do well with people who have been trained to be coaches. Mm. So I've not taken formal training to be a psychologist or a coach, but there are people who have. And so if I had a person who looked like, wow, they this is going to take some work. Uh, number one, do they realize they need the work? Mm-hmm. And number two then, so I can connect you with somebody who will coach you, and they really know their stuff, but they're going to help lead you into uh, doing your, we call it doing your homework. Yeah. You know, do your homework. It's going to take some time. Uh, so, yeah, it depends on how deeply their problem is in terms of communicating or whatever, being triggered or whatever. But, uh, yeah, so I can direct people to, we can help get it started, and it might be enough. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I found, um, is it, I went... <laughs> In Australia, you can get 10 psychology sessions for free on, you know, the government's like, here, there you go. And I remember when I was 26, I went to my doctor. I'm like, can I just get them? She's like, is there any problem? Like, fill out this test. And I'm like, deliberately did a little bit more depressed than needed. <laughs> and um, so then I got him. And because I just wanted to learn. I'm like, okay, I know there's stuff that most people, like, that's not much of a problem. But I'm like, all right, let's. And once just once I started venting to this guy, he, I noticed I'm like again, he said that one piece of information where he, he was just like, "Who cares what that guy thinks? Why are you trying to be his friend? Like he doesn't want to be your friend. Who cares?" And I was like, "This, oh, yeah." And then the funny thing was, once I stopped caring, he was like, "You're kind of fun to hang out with." I'm like, "What happened?" <laughs> <laughs> and like that thing again, like. I let go of caring so much that I ended up, you know, were we the best of like friends and buddies all the time? No, but was he like, get away from me anymore? No, he was actually like, let's have a conversation when we pass by or whatever. Um, but that was going to see someone I didn't even think I had a problem, you know, cause I was just inquisitive. I'm like, this, this thing in, in my head, the brain is so confused and so complex and, it's the best thing and the worst thing we have that I just want to learn. And it, it was a really cool experience because I think he and I, I'd be like, yeah, this happens because this and this layer and that, and you know, that comes from back there. And he's just there going, you know so much about your head. Why are you here? I'm like, I'm intrigued, bro. <laughs> yes. Um, on, the, on the thing about psychologist and going to psychologists. Mm. So, Again, have some level of trust in yourself. When you go to a psychologist and you're saying after a session, you're going, what was that all about? Mm-hmm. Or that wasn't very helpful. Or, you know, so 
don't just go to a psychologist because people say you should go to one or mm. be in control of that because there are psychologists and there are psychologists. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, he was probably my third one. I went to two earlier because, again, I was told to. But, I mean, didn't connect. Do you? Yeah. It wasn't. Because, yeah. again, we don't connect with everyone. You don't. Mm. No. No. And it, you're, you raise a good point. You're like, you kind of have to want to. But also, I don't know how people realize this, but eventually just know, like, like the thing when I was 24, I just, I've been going to the gym my whole life. I know that you train a muscle to do this. You train a muscle to do that. Something clicked when I was 24 when I was like, this is a muscle too. It's just super complex. And I've been training it a certain way. And I don't know what it was, but I was like, I need to train it. And that was like the most liberating thing was realizing, oh, like, yes, there's stuff that is really into my subconscious. That's going to take a lot longer, but... Um, it is possible to change. And that was kind of like a more of a liberating thing rather than what I'm noticing a lot in today is like, oh no, that's who you are. It's like, no, it's not. You put that person in a completely different environment where everyone is completely different and they have to survive, yeah, the brain starts changing very quickly. Um, and one one saying that I've noticed, I got recently that change, it, change, it forces me to make change so much faster is oh, that's what I do. Even if it's not what I do yet, but it's what I want to do. Like I, I want to get up at the, I train seven days a week now at the gym. I'm there at 6.30. When I wake up in the morning and I'm like, ugh. And I go, no, it's what you do. Okay. It's this weird, like uh, just this centering sentence. And I got it from Goggins. He just, he said that. So I'm not going to take credit for it, but it's so weird. Like I don't drink. I didn't realize I always just said, I just don't drink. But that uh, that sentence made my reality because my brain doesn't want to then drink. So I'm like, well, this is what I do. Do you say it out loud or do you just say it to yourself or both? Both. Yeah. Both. So Sometimes people need to speak it out loud, but yeah. And use um, social – I use social pressures so much. So for the first year or something, my thing was – I'm a trusted and respected leader. And when I first said that, oh, I felt so fake. <laughs> I felt so, you know, like, like Stacy, I would be like, I'm going to start, I'm just, every morning I'd say it in, in the mirror, but I'm like, you, like, even if I thought she might hear me say it, I'm like, nah. But I'm like, no, I have to kind of brainwash myself to get, because I know that the brain is the compass f- for you. And I'm like, it'll sound like it's that whole fake it till you make it in a way. But it's like say it while it's like while it's uncomfortable. Again, going to the gym, lifting a weight, so heavy, so heavy. Then over time, I'd start like you know that one sentence would trickle down to all right. If I manipulated something, that's not what it's like. I'm not going to be trusted and respect if I do that. So that would pull me back here. So now I openly say I'm a trusted and respected leader with confidence. It's in my body, like because I know okay. One, I've been saying it for two and a half years now. But as a result now, I've been doing stuff with um, the pest control that I'm helping with like HR and stuff like that. I've had now, because I've said to myself first and the actions followed it, now I've had people say to me, you're the only one that listens to me. And I'm like, cool. Um, But that, again, that also said that sentence plus it's what I do 
I, I think I've told a million people, like just if you want to do something, just say that sentence every single time you have yeah. to do it. I've heard a, a counselor friend who has been doing it for years and helping families uh, come in and say, you know, we're just having such a difficult time with our child. And he would focus on the parents and say, so tell me, what, what are you saying to one another about your child? Mm-hmm. What are you thinking about? Sorry. What are you What are you thinking about your child uh, when you're away from them? Mm. Uh, so we don't have to understand. Uh, I'm sure science will catch up, but it's very important what you're thinking mm-hmm. and what you're saying about your child. And if if you're saying things like "My child is difficult," "My child is blah 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 blah." So true. Now, some people think, well, yeah, so wait a minute. What are you, what are you, what are you saying here? I mean, I, I got to stay in touch with the reality. Mm-hmm. My child is, uh, yes, so don't ignore the problem, uh, but focus on what you want them, what you want to see, what, what behavior you do want to change, what, what, what is it that you're, and start thinking that of them. Mm-hmm. And start speaking that of them as you deal with the problem. Yeah, yeah. That, it's uh, so I say that to you, and I go, but I wish I could say a lot more about that. All I know is I really believe that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a daughter who once told me, but she had read some research about talking to plants. Yes, and with the difference it makes. Yeah, and it was a, like a scientific study. So, you know, I hear things like that, and without going in all the research and everything, which I didn't do, it just makes sense. Mm. Because I do know that we live in a word-centered reality. And what we say is so powerful. Yeah. So powerful. And so, yeah, so it makes sense. I'm, I'm going to pay attention to that. Mm. Yeah. Is that because it's like, I mean, I'm a big thing of like energy, <clears throat> not in like the, I mean, I think sometimes energy gets a little bit of a hokey pokey, you know, meaning behind it where all of a sudden you've got crystals and stuff. But <laughs> definitely, I think when you're speaking positive, that goes into your body, which then puts out like everything's matter and energy in some sort of way, you know? Um, and you can tell when someone is genuinely positive Usually the people in the room get a little bit more positive when someone's a downer. It's like, oh, I don't really want to be around this guy. Yeah. Um, so that'd be, it'd probably be something to do with like with the plants because obviously they can't communicate to us in the way that we can comprehend. I'd imagine it'd be something like because you're saying something nice, you're feeling something nice that you're putting out some sort of energy that we haven't found yet. Uh, well, it's a little bit like a, an animal can sense. Mm. Your authority, your fear, whatever. Yeah. So again, we know that part of that's body language. We know part of that is our body is giving off an odor mm-hmm. that's not perceptible to us, but to the, and who knows what else that might be in that. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 an amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. The, yeah. It's I I've said this to a bunch of people. I'm like. I think everyone should learn how to fight 
not to fight, but the byproduct of confidence that it created for me yeah. um, is astounding. Yeah, I learned how to fight in the last three years, maybe. It was when I met my wife and I'm like, well, I'm going to have kids one day and I need to know how to get myself out of a jam. <laughs> so I started learning how to fight. But the, the trickle-down effect of my confidence... Um, I didn't get in arguments because I wasn't scared, if that makes sense. And like when yeah, you're scared, sure. you create that problem. Yeah. Um, and I realized I'm like, yeah, those false narratives of if you know how to fight, you're gonna fight more. Not it's actually the opposite because you're more confident. But I found that that it didn't just trickle into walking around. I was like my my conversations and how I meet people. It's like I still at times like in some conflict res like conflict or even like where there's a stake behind it the like you can feel your body shake a little bit and i'm like trying to hold it and breathe to focus it but before learning to fight whew, huge difference yeah. um yeah would you ever recommend like to people like hey go do some like actual boxing classes or some jujitsu or anything like that Hey, if it helps, because the, the key word is confidence. Mm. And uh, so, again, as parents or in relationships, we do give off a sense of confidence, which helps calm things down. But if a person is insecure, they're not confident, there's all kinds of vibes going off that makes the whole situation worse. Yeah. So having confidence is really important yeah big time and it's such a hard thing to get and you know and, and children read all that mm. and so when kids are smarter than the parents uh sometimes that creates a, a lack of confidence mm -hmm. and children pick up that lack of confidence and so they act out even more because you're going, this child, I don't know what to do with this child. Mm. Well, that doesn't help them. Yeah. And usually, do you find that there's not really a conversation happening? Like an actual, like a, there might be talking happening, but a conversation, um, It's. I guess it's how, because I'm thinking about like the way in which I've had conversations with my family and they did an incredible job. Like I'm not dissing them in the slightest, but I know we're like, I didn't really care in high school. Somehow I still got 87% in like your equivalent of the SATs or something like that. I don't know how that was me not caring. So I'm like, man, look at like, <laughs> come on, Blake. Um, but I remember in going into year 10 and this is something I'm going to, I'm trying to like forecast to mitigate going into being a parent, not being terrified of them failing. And that was one thing because my parents really wanted the best for me. Um, it was, you know, they sent me to the, one of the best schools in Sydney, but I, you know, effed off a lot of time. I didn't really care. I was there, but I wasn't mentally. Um, at, going into year 10, you can leave year 10 um, and go into a trade. And my mom was like, maybe it's time you leave and just do that. And that probably would have been fine. The trade would have been fine, but it was that concern of, and I'm probably, it might've been also concerned, like I don't want to pay another two years of tuition, which is like a crazy amount a year. Um, but I'm trying to 
mitigate that now where it's like being able to let my kids, I guess, converse and figure out what they want because I also know that my rebelliousness became a strength after a decade of it being a weakness. But <laughs> um, but I think as well, like if if I was listened to a little bit more, I think I would have utilized that rebelliousness in a way in which it would have been beneficial rather than harmful. Um, but I think that was a, a, a mismatch in communication with my parents and I where they were concerned because they knew the world they grew up in, not the world I'm growing up in. You know, you go to school, go to university, get a job. I'm the f- I went to university and then got my degree and went, wee! <laughs> like the worst, the worst other thing for them. Um, but I think it really came down to, it was the fear that felt like a uh, lack of acceptance, um, which made me rebel in, a, in a, a detrimental way instead of, hey, look, how can we help? You want to do whatever it is, how can we help? And they did also do that. Um, now that I'm actually looking back at it too, in my early 20s, they did help a lot. But there was something, I don't know what it was, and I'm trying to figure that out, where it was, was it an insecurity within me that was causing a problem? Like, I don't know yet. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of great, like when I get to meet people like yourself and like also having conversations with, you know, other like grandparents, parents, and also my knowledge of communication, conflict resolution, mitigation to be like, oh boy, how can I prepare as best as possible? Yes, yes. <laughs> With But while simultaneously, I think the letting go part's going to be tough. How did you, or did you, mitigate the wanting the best for them without being controlling, but also being that able, like, to, uh, yeah, how did you mitigate those two polar opposites, really? Freedom and uh, discipline. Yeah, yeah. Well, how did you do that? Well, I tell you, you know, there's no handbook on being a parent, uh, typically. Mm-hmm. It's no class, typically. So you learn successes, failures. For me, uh, asking questions of, say, a young person uh, and not giving them the answers. Mm. Uh, there's time for that. But I have found, uh, so again, in the educational perspective, I have found, uh, I love sixth grade students. I think it's a, it's a great age. Really? Yeah. Okay. And when I think of sixth grade students, or even just middle school, mm-hmm. uh, they're my favorite group. Uh, they were so much fun. They what, were what's the so reason spo- that they're that particular age group? They're so spontaneous. Uh, mm. They're, you know, it's the bridge year. Uh, so I don't know, I just found them to be very engaging and uh, interesting and uh, helping them to, to handle their emotions. And uh, But they just I just found them to be... So I would... Uh, say to them, so your teacher sent you here, I'm the principal, uh, tell me what happened, 
tell me what you believe about your response and by your own code of ethics, what you believe is right or wrong. Please don't put mine in there, what I think is right or wrong, or your parents. I want to, let's talk about what you really believe. Mm. And so they would talk about that. Then I would say then, by your code, sounds like maybe you're not real happy with yourself about the choices you made. Mm. So that helps to bring them into, you know, it's a problem that they want to solve. And they're not looking to me to solve it, which I think is the typical kind of principal, student, you did this, this is what's going to happen kind of yeah. a thing. So, yeah, helping helping another person take ownership of whatever the problem is and giving them the opportunity by good questions to kind of work it through for themselves mm. I think is really helpful. I noticed as well that you said it sounds uh, that's something I learned in um, Never Split the Difference, a book by Chris Voss. Uh, he always said, it feels or it sounds. Never I can see or uh, you seem like. Yeah, because that removal, by removing the I and you, it's about the thing and that you detach yeah. the thing from the person. Yeah. Is that Did you yeah. learn it from that? Or yeah, it- well, it goes back to that. The person is not the problem. The problem is the problem. Mm. That is... You know, it's amazing. They're so, yeah, every once in a while I'll say something to a couple or a person in crisis, and uh, it just, it's its all they needed to hear. Yeah. It was a powerful, powerful word. Sometimes we make things more difficult than they are. So, yeah, it's another, uh, I'll bring another area up where I do, I can be very helpful to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven years of helping my wife with Alzheimer's. Wow, I learned so much. Mm. Uh, what an experience. Um, she thought she was in college. Jeez. So she was in a home. Mm. We, we did as much as we could at home, brought home health in, but then they got to a point where she really needed to have a smaller controlled environment where she could be happier, mm-hmm. not frustrated with what she can't do. I mean, there's sometimes families who make that mistake. They think, you know, my loved one expects me to keep them in this home. Mm. Well, if that works out, okay, but there's, there's some real challenges to that. Yeah. Anyway, so in a home, so I would go and visit. So she thought she was a college student. And how old was she in a college dorm? She's in her seventies. Wow. Yeah. And so she thought she was in a college dorm. And so I learned to enter her world. And by entering her world, we were able to relate. And because I loved her essence. And she loved my essence. So we were able to bond. We were able to just, you know, make the best of that time. So I say all that to say there are so many pitfalls that families can fall into in this whole world of dementia that 
I also am able to help families. Mm. How did you enter her world? That's fascinating. Was it like you pretended to be a college as well or was it yeah so i, I so i didn't correct her mm-hmm. you're not in college yeah and you know this is your husband now i was her boyfriend <laughs> that's cool and so i was her boyfriend so uh i would i would uh so i want to make this world that she's created to help her to cope with this terrible terrible disease I want her to be happy. Mm. I want her to be close. I want to be, we can still be close. So I would say things like, guess what? I talked to your dad, which of course he wasn't living, but in mm. her mind, he's still alive. I would say, I talked to your dad and your mom, and they said that I could marry you. <laughs> Every time I would say it, she gets, her eyes would light up. She was so happy. Mm. So I could propose to her every day. Wow. And because of the dementia, she didn't know that. Mm. She didn't remember that. But I wanted to, I wanted to be happy. Yeah. And so now there's some people, they just can't do that. Yeah, they can't let go. Yeah, or they just, they, they feel like they're lying. Yeah. And if that's if that's where you are you're going to have a very difficult time and you're going to make it very difficult on your loved one who has dementia yeah if you can't learn mm. that love is about doing what's best for your loved one mm. and lying is about deceiving to hurt and this is not lying yeah when you you know have fun with this story they've created to, to help them to cope with mm. yeah Particularly because dementia is not a thing that you can just be like, oh, we'll, rational, we'll rationalize it out. So that, and I th maybe that's what people, I mean, I'm, I saw it with my grandmother. She had Alzheimer's, um, not to that extent, but it was, she, and then she was aware that she was forgetting a lot of stuff. And it, I don't know, I mean, it was a few years ago now, but yeah, we're all like, we were all con control freaks ish, but we had to put her in a home because she would just, she was still at home at the time. And then my grandfather passed away three years prior. And we just find her like wandering the streets. We're like, that's not good. Yeah. Um, so what was, what was your family like when they, like, did they see you engaging in that way? And what was their reception to that? Oh, just they loved it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, they they celebrated the fact that we loved each loved each other so much. Mm. Um, sometimes doctors may say something like, uh, "This could kill you." Sixty percent of primary caregivers mates die first mm. by carrying the load. Mm -hmm. So I don't judge somebody if they put. Their loved one in a home, and they feel, and they just believe, yeah, I need to move on. Yeah, now, I could not do that. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do that. Um, but I'm not going to judge someone who say, I, I just, it's going to kill me. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so it's it's a it's a challenging world, but back to family, yeah, just involving them. 
and sharing stories with them. And, uh, yeah. So we dated, and I proposed. And we had a great time with the little time we had. Mm. That's beautiful. I wouldn't have even thought to just lean into it. That's, uh, that's such an interesting oh, it's approach. A, it's a, yeah. What what brought you to that like realization? So I have a team. I had a team. Ah, the team, huh? <laughs> so with this very good team, uh, and one of those team players being the Alzheimer's Support Network of Naples. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just work with people all the time. So they're the people who know. And so I leaned in on them and their door is open. You don't have to, you can just show up mm. and go in and just, you know, you're, you may be crushed by so many painful emotions and you tell them what it is you're dealing with and, and they can give you insight to help you. Mm. Sometimes it might be a strategy, you know, for maybe that first day you take them to the home. That's not pretty. Yeah, that's tough. That's a big shift. So get a little bit of coaching on that might be a smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so we're able to take that experience to be able to help other people. And that's that's what we want to do. We mm-hmm. just uh, I belong to a family that's been given to the community for a long time. And uh, the community means a lot to us because we also receive a lot from the community yeah. all the time. So it's a it's a back and forth, and it's just great to, to be in Naples and to be a part and uh, just whatever we can do to help people. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's beautiful what you're doing. Um, that's why, like, when I met you, I was like, I have a million questions, but I'd rather just do it here because I'm like, I can really dive in versus in the car park or the car lot. <laughs> Um, well, thank you. So just so you know, that was already an hour and 20. See, I told you. For anyone listening, he, he was like, maybe we 45 minutes. I'm like, no, time flies. <laughs> um, so first of all, love your energy, love what you're doing, and um, so much more than I thought as well, which is really exciting. For people listening or watching, how can they get in contact with you and is there ways in which they can help if they're not even necessarily after help? Uh, let me start with the first question. Is there ways that people can help if they don't necessarily need help? I think just yeah, volunteer in the community. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I think that, you know, find an area that you really uh, would like to contribute mm-hmm. and contribute. Beautiful. All right. And how do they reach you? Because I'll put this also in the description so they can reach out. Yeah. Um, how does how does one reach you? Yeah. So I, I just, uh, you know, I have a card. This is uh, Mac Counseling Services. And so on there is my email address and my phone number. So I don't, I mean, this is what I'm doing right now, Blake, with you mm-hmm. is the most public thing oh, wow. I have done. Are you okay with that? I guess so. I mean, so I'm not about uh, advertising with this particular thing that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's about word of mouth. Mm. You know, people that I've helped, 
people that maybe knew me at the school or in the community and you know we just you know they make those connections so it's mainly just word of mouth mm-hmm. and uh but i thought i'd venture out a little bit and <laughs> well i really take my hat off to you like yeah it made me um well, you're, humbled. You, you're very accessible very approachable so you know you do give off a sense of you know trustworthiness and Oh, thank so, you. So, you know, I, I just thought, you know, plus, I'm going... The baby. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's the main thing. But, you know, just uh, it just so happens that recently my wife is saying, you you need to get on a... You need to have a podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. And I said, uh, oh. And she's also said, you know, I listen to this radio station and and they would love to sit down with you and mm. over the radio. And I said, I don't want to. I mean, I, I've been on the radio. I've been on TV. Mm. I do public speaking. No problem. Yeah. I just don't want to be real public. I, yeah. I just, I'm in that season of life where I, it's family and faith mm-hmm. and relationships. And that's... So yeah, so we so we're 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 kind of branched out here a little yeah. bit with you, but uh, well, it's um, I mean, I can co- t- I can completely agree with you. Like a lot of radio does tend to be very curated, and it's like it doesn't feel natural. That's what I wanted to achieve with this podcast, where it's yeah. like this is just a conversation yeah. where yeah. you almost forget that the cameras are here. Like obviously we've got bright lights and everything, but yeah. it's I. I like to ask the questions that are relevant, even just to me. Yeah. And then if someone's listening and they're like, ah, oh, I never thought about that, then yeah. Yeah. they'll get some value from it. Yeah. Um, well, that's the way you presented it. And I think that's what uh, drew me to go ahead and be relaxed enough to do this mm. is because I had a sense that it would be natural. Yeah. And uh, and, it, and it it has been, yes. This was a, a, a natural, easy experience to uh, talk for this time mm. about life about people about whatever so yeah. yeah and you've got a great voice for it just so you know it's very soothing so um that's what my wife says she says, you need to get on a podcast <laughs> you have a really natural voice for it but, yeah uh, you know i really we'll see. i enjoyed like look i enjoyed it and it's um again these Whenever I tell people, I'm like, they usually go for an hour and a half, two hours. Everyone's like, no way you can talk that long. I'm like, oh, we can talk that long. If it's a terrible conversation, then yeah, we can't. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you so much. I thank look you. forward to seeing you in VentureX more often. I'll be yeah. here more often. And um, yeah, that was really enjoyable. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, Blake. Yeah, thank you. I and enjoyed it. Everyone, he's, uh, John's details are in the description. So if there's... Someone who's in need or something that you think, direct him to this gentleman uh, if you've enjoyed this, because I have. So thank you, and make sure to subscribe, and we'll see you later, boys and girls. All right, there we go. What do you think? Wow. (laughs) Feels like weed, right?